All right, let's find out what's going on in BC politics. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to the BC Liberal leadership race. Vaughn Palmer with us from the Vancouver Sun. Vaughn, this one kind of snuck up on us because this race has still been going on and we just haven't noticed until now all of a sudden all the candidates are saying we need to pay attention. Yeah, this is true. The Liberals have been complaining they haven't been getting any attention for their leadership race, which seems to have been going on forever in the background. Now they're getting the kind of publicity you don't want, which is... uh, The voting uh, first weekend in February, so coming up soon, and a complaint from, well, let's see, five of the seven candidates for the leadership that there are irregularities in all the new members who were signed up last year uh, demanding uh, these people. They've written a letter, these candidates, to the party saying you need to audit these memberships, saying we checked it out and we find all kinds of irregularities. And if you don't deal with this, it could bring the entire leadership race into disrepute. Okay, so what's going on here? Because that's a lot of candidates when you think almost all of them are saying there's a problem here. Well, it's essentially a gang up by the uh, on the front runner. I mean, they... <laughs> These things are always conducted in code, Simi. They, 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 they're worried about the reputation of the party, but when you look at it, you go, uh, Kevin Falcon, former cabinet minister who jumped back into the leadership race after about 10 years out of politics, uh, clearly the front runner. You can tell because the other candidates spend all their time attacking him. So he's uh, blitzed a uh, sign-up of new members, and they say, uh, his critics, uh, his opponents, say they've checked it all out. They find a lot of irregularities, and frankly, uh, you know, there may well have a case for an audit and independent review. Um, the party says they have that in hand. The party says they have an auditing procedure, and they will uh, address the allegations. Uh, the party is just as soon not talk about this too much as a fairly limited statement, but that's what's going on, uh, sort of two narratives at once. Uh, one, a concern that, uh, you know, the, the race be clean and re- re- rules and procedures be followed, and the other, a concern by the non-frontrunner, uh, frontrunners, plural, about the frontrunner. Okay, and this is a bit deja vu, though, here, isn't it, yeah. Vaughn? Because this has happened to parties before. Yeah, this happens. This has happened pretty much every time I've covered a leadership uh, going back to the 1980s. Uh, Political parties uh, have a leadership uh, in the era where we don't have convention delegates, and that's been the case for almost 30 years, where you have you sign up members, they vote online for the leader, they have a PIN number, they vote online, and whoever gets the most votes wins. So you don't have the old days where you had delegated conventions and party insiders dominating it. This is supposed to be more democratic. But, Simi, it creates a situation where uh, political candidates with good connections can go out and sign up um, huge numbers of members and affect the voting outcome. There are safeguards in place to make sure that people join as individuals, that their membership fees aren't paid by organizations, uh, that they really did join the party and that they not were not just brokered into it. But at the end of the day, uh, this issue comes up again and again. The NDP leadership races back in the 1990s, uh, 
One of my favorite moments was when uh, the NDP and the Liberals both audited their membership lists and found out the same people had joined both parties, which is not allowed. <laughs> yeah. um, so they had to kick a whole bunch of people out. And maybe the all-time greatest moment was when somebody who didn't much like Christy Clark signed up his cat <laughs> as a BC Liberal member, oh, boy. got a membership, and then, of course, went public and said, you know, they let my cat become a member of the party. Well, I don't know, you know, uh, maybe the cat was smarter than some of the people. <laughs> I mean, we had a good laugh at that one. But yes, it comes up every time, Simi. And look, the other thing about it is makes it a challenge for those of us in the news media to cover it is this whole thing is conducted in code. Yes. When you try to get in at what they're really concerned about, they all talk about membership irregularities and the party's membership and reputation and mass signing and all that. But what they're really talking about is a particular community in British Columbia or communities, plural, uh, ethnic communities, where large numbers of people join the party to have influence in the party when it becomes government. They hope it'll become government. But we kind of covering it have to provide that translation because the people, the critics, are very careful what they say. Happily, Simi, happily, our colleague, Jazz Johal, former liberal MLA, now CKNW host has provided a translation on social media. And I'll give you two or three quotes from what Jazz wrote yesterday, and I recommend people go to Jazz's Twitter feed to get the whole thing. But here is a couple of quotes. Quote, do you think this would have been an issue if 20,000 British Columbians of European descent had been signed up? Good point. Here's another one. The complaint, Jazz hears, some of these homes where people have joined, some of these homes have 20 people living in them and only one phone number, says Jazz. It's referred to as multi-generational living, or as we Asians call it, living. Uh, And the last one, this is really Jazz, you know, the former liberal MLA. Some people wanted him to run for the leadership. He chose not to. He chose to go with NW, or he's a very good radio host. He says the BC Liberals are a rural rump of a party with the demographics of 1970s Canada. They should ask themselves how they got there. And, and, you know, his point being, don't be complaining about the fact that you're out signing up members in some of the province's more diverse communities, that's what they need to do if they're ever going to be a mainstream political party in a province that is increasingly multi-ethnic, multi-generational, and diverse. So what does this tell us, though, about the state of the leadership race? I just feel like this is saying that they're all afraid of Kevin Falcon. They're afraid of Kevin Falcon. And, you know, the one thing that I, I, I looked at the an analysis from somebody who sort of knows the party but is standing on the sidelines and says, you know, they're overly concerned about these mass signups as they allege them because most of these new members are concentrated in a handful of ridings in Surrey and the Fraser Valley. And the point this guy makes is the Liberals have a formula that caps the number of actual votes that each riding in the province can, can cast in the leadership. And it's designed 
to prevent a handful of ridings from dominating the outcome. So this fellow pointed out to me that they're getting all worked up over the fact that Falcon has signed up thousands of members in just a handful of ridings. But in order to win the leadership, he needs to carry probably a majority of the ridings in the province. So those that mass sign-up will draw a lot of attention to him, large numbers of members, but the, the equalization formula that the party has means he may not win the leadership because of it. In fact, there could be a backlash around this and a bunch of other ridings in the province saying, well, we don't want those that handful of ridings to control the outcome. We're going to vote for somebody else. So it doesn't mean, this analysis... Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean Kevin Falcon has the winning in the bag. It may just be an effort to discredit him um, and sort of build support for other candidates in other writings. Well, certainly getting them a lot of attention, maybe not the kind that they wanted, because like, what is the process here? This is wrapping up soon. Yeah, it wraps up. Uh, first weekend in February, uh, the vote comes down. Uh, the idea is to get a new leader in place before the legislature sits, although... There's a question mark around that, Simi, because uh, three of the seven candidates have a seat in the legislature. So uh, if they win, uh, they could immediately take over as leader and become the leader in the House. But uh, Falcon uh, doesn't have a seat in the legislature. So in in those circumstances, uh, for example, if he wins, probably what you would see is that Shirley Bond would remain the, the leader of the party in the House and the Liberals would have to find somebody to resign their seat in the legislature, create a by-election, so that could take some months. So uh, they should have a new leader by, um, I think it's February the 5th or 6th, but it's not entirely clear whether they'll be able to make the transition to a new leadership on the floor of the House right away. Um, that will depend on a, could depend on a by-election, and of course the call for a by-election is the government's call, not the opposition's call. This is going to be an interesting way to do this, because usually with leadership conventions, it's, you know, you generate, the convention is to generate some excitement and some interest in what's going on. Well, they can't do that. Yeah, no, uh, talking to our our colleague, Keith Baldry, about just just the other day, of course, we both uh, go back to the days when leaderships were designed at big suspense-ridden conventions and hoopla and everything. It was seen by political parties as undemocratic, but it was very exciting and it generated a lot of media coverage. These new ones where people vote online, um, they're just not as exciting and galvanizing. Now, you know, uh, too bad for the media. We still cover the outcome. But they do tend, the old kind of conventions with delegates used to provide political parties with a big boost. Sometimes you'd see the leader go right out of that convention. you maybe get an election if uh, the governing party were in power. In this case, of course, it's the opposition that's picking a new leader. And the next election isn't until... October 2024 if John Horgan sticks to that date this time. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Okay, thank you for that, Vaughn. Bye-bye.